0: Do you have any idols in your life? Now that is a very pointed question, but the reality is oftentimes we as Christians are surrounded by a lot of materialistic things, and there are a lot of relationships that we have that may not be as honorable to the Lord as we think. on well, today's podcast, we're going to be looking at aspects of our lives to be sensitive to not cause jealousy with the Lord. So turn to First Corinthians chapter 10, and let's get into it. Friends, welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast, Jason Jimenez with you as always, blessed to be with you guys as we continue our study here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where we do a verse-by-verse study of Scripture in chronological order as we've been tackling the New Testament for quite some time now. So if you're new to this podcast, I encourage you guys, wherever you get your podcasts, you can always go back where we began a chronological study in the gospel. So if you want to explore the life teaching of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus, and see how the gospels not just interact with one another, but how they complement each other, not just in terms of historical verifications, but parabolically, when you line up the life of Jesus and how he maneuvered geographically through Nazareth. So that is an important study that we investigated and looked into. And then from there, we obviously went to the book of Acts, where now we take apart the letters that Paul wrote during his time traveling around doing his missionary work. And so, as we've been exploring 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we now find ourselves in this passage in verses 14 through 22 of 1 Corinthians 10, avoiding spiritual adultery. And this, this is about us having pure devotion to God. Now, to bring you up to speed, when you dissect what we were talking about last podcast, we were seeing how we are to have restraint in our life. We are to ensure that we are not possessing things in our life that is causing us to sin against the Lord. And we talked about last week, what Paul was breaking down about this spiritual food, and the spiritual walk, this rock, which the rock was Christ and seeing how God not only protected his people as he delivered them from Egypt, but also he gave them salvation. He saved them. He redeemed them from bondage and the law, his word, as they followed it, was a representation of Christ to come, being the word, that the word dwelt among us. And we know through the law came, you know, with Moses came the law and through Christ is grace and truth. We're told that in the book of John. And so when when Paul was using the Israelites and their sin as an example, not to do the same, and remember he referred in verse seven, do not be idolaters as some of them were. And they sat, they ain't, and they drank and they played. And this is something that Paul was referring back to Exodus 32 verse 6. And it was betraying the Israelites. Remember, they were celebrating because they believed that they were truly worshiping after creating a golden calf. But there are many idols. But the golden calf was the one that they believed delivered them, Exodus 32, 4 through 6, from Egypt. And not honoring Yahweh. And of course, it was partly due to fear because Moses was no way around when he was encountering God and getting the Ten Commandments. And so when he was talking about them indulging in sexual morality and seeing the punishment, the judgment that would befall them, and it did. And we're told over 24,000 people, of course, Paul, remember he mentioned 23, and we were dealing with that apparent contradiction and showing some sound reason to explain why the numbers did not add up according to the book of Numbers to what Paul was talking about. But there was a grumbling and the destroyer came. God sent an angel to judge the sin and the rebellion. And these things happen, the Bible tells us in verse 11, as an example. And that's why he says in verse 12, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. And this is now where we're, we, we get into that famous verse that everybody cites, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you. It is not common to man, but God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. The word temptation there, the Greek word, translates as an enticement or a trial or a testing period. So it will vary. It depends on the person and the circumstance. So though we may be tempted, God will give us the strength. So again, if you're talking about we're not to be idolaters, we're not to give over to sexual morality, we're not to think more highly than we ought to, we're to remain humble. We are to remain under the protection and provision and salvation of God. And when we are tempted, when we are being tried, when we are being tested, God will give us the strength to resist and overcome the temptation. My friends, that is the promise that we actually have as Christians. You know, what's amazing was I was actually just praying this morning in my prayer time, and it was through 2 Timothy chapter 4. And Paul says something that's very interesting that I want to share when you're talking about no temptation is overtaken except such as common to man. When he says in verse 6, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And then he says in verse 17, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Then he says in verse 18 of 2 Timothy 4, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You think, well, Paul later, just shortly thereafter, a few years later, if you're doing the math, he was beheaded. So how did the Lord rescue him from every evil deed? Was that an evil deed? Not necessarily. His time was up. God protected him and of course the moment the momentary affliction as we're told as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 is nothing in comparison to the glory that he received his reward as he said to him to Christ be the glory forever and ever amen so when we're when we're talking about not thinking ourselves more highly when we're talking about temptation that God is faithful he'll give us the strength remember we can't do it in and of ourselves 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3, the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. So now in verse 14, when he says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Again, this is so important because after comparing the Israelites' idolatry in the wilderness, as we just explored in the previous episode, Paul warns the Corinthians, now here in verses 14 through 22, not to succumb to idol worship at the temple. If you go back to chapter 8, remember, That was the main thing here is that you cannot associate with people who are legitimately and intentionally and worshipfully sacrificing animals to idols. It's not the meat that is immoral, but it's the idea of eating meat while explicitly attending a pagan feast at the temple. And and according to Paul, that is immoral. And so the various activities conducted at the pagan temple consisted of sexual morality. That's what we have to understand. And by the way, the worship of demons, because that's what's really going on. And that's why he says, I speak as a sensible people in verse 13, or excuse me, verse 15, judge for yourselves what I say, the cup of blessing A cup of blessing, he says, catch this, that we bless is not a participation in the blood of Christ. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? He's posing this question. But he says, and the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one body. Now, if you go back to when Paul was talking about pagan worship and what was really taking place, and this is worshiping of demons. Paul will later go in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, where he poses the question again, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? And then he then he'll proceed to to affirm this, for we are the temple of the living God. So when he's saying, again, if you look at the comparison, going back to the Israelites in the early passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 through 13, the Israelites were were brought out of Egypt, out of bondage by God himself. And yet they turned to idols saying, this is the God, the scolding calf, that delivered us from the hands of the Egyptians. That is false. That is worshiping the devil. That is demonic worship. We as a temple of God, we are not to participate as, a, as, as, as the temple of the living God. We are not to participate in sin. We are not to give ourselves over to idolatry. So then when he's referring now to the cup of blessing that is used in the Passover meal, he's going to point out adultery. Now let's break this down. So remember, in order for the Corinthians to understand the gravity of idolatry, this is what Paul does. He appeals to the representation of the Lord's Supper. So he's using that to illustrate worship through the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper, what does it signify? We worship Jesus because we are remembering what the body and the blood represent. So let's break this down for a minute. The cup of blessing that we bless. What is he saying here? Well, let's understand the Passover meal. The cup of Thanksgiving, this is where we get the term eulogy, eulogia. This was the third cup in the order of the Passover meal. So when you go to the upper room and we look at Matthew chapter 26, verses 27 and 28, remember the night in which Jesus was betrayed, notice what he said about the cup. He said that it represented the blood that would be shed for the sins of the people. We were told in Matthew 26, and he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. Now, the blood of the covenant is very significant among the Jewish people when it comes to sacrifice, when it comes to the temple. So notice, let's tie this all together. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are to partake of this communion because the cup represents the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And he says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And then in verse 11, or excuse me, chapter 11, verse 24, when he's talking about this bread that we will break, Paul will go in greater detail. And what he actually does is he re, he put, he'll put in, in the next chapter, the very words of Jesus when he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. So partaking of the elements, when you think of the wine and the bread, that we, we as, as Protestants, as Christians, some people use, like to use the word evangelicals, they're not literally partaking of Jesus's body and blood. And, and this is important to understand because when you look at communion, it's representing what Christ has done for us. Therefore, we are remembering the great sacrifice that he paid for us to offer us eternity. Let me read for you the NIV application commentary. It says, participation in verses 15 and 16 includes both communion with fellow believers and partnership in Christ. The common loaf reminds the Corinthians of their unity in Christ, which should also separate them from false religion. So too in ancient Judaism, those who ate sacrificial meat in the temple communed with Yahweh and appropriated the temporary forgiveness associated with those animal sacrifices, end quote. Then the phrase here, we who are many are one. Now, this is interesting because remember in the context, what he's looking at is the Lord's Supper, what we refer to as Eucharist or communion. And he's talking about the blessing that comes because of the blood of the covenant. The blessing is the forgiveness that we've been united. That's why he says we we who are many are one because of Christ who's one with the Father and the Holy Spirit, makes us one with him. And through the calling that we have in living out the gospel, we are the church. We are the body of Christ. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So again, Paul will build on this in 1 Corinthians 12, talking about the church, which he talks about in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 through 23, and chapter 5, verse 23. So here's the thing. We are many. We're individuals. But as a church, or let's put it this way, the universality of the church all the different churches that hold that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and believe the infallibility of God's word. And they believe in the second coming of Christ and it's only through him that we are saved. That Those churches, we make of the body of Christ, but we are all united as one in Christ. I just came from a church, different denomination, different city, different leadership, but we are one in Christ. There was diversity, but there was also unity. And it reminded me of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, where Paul says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. So that's why he says, for we all partake of the one bread. So when we participate, when there's participation of communion, it's not only to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross, but it fosters continual fellowship in Christ within his church. That's why this is, this is avoiding spiritual adultery. We're not to implement or seek other avenues or other religions or other deities that are idols in our life. We are, we are to remain consecrated to Christ. And as his children, we together foster continual fellowship. So that's why in verse 18 here, he says, consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar. And then he carries on this by asking the question, verse 19 and following, what do I imply then that food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the temple of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? There is a lot here. So I want to do a quick evaluation here. And the thing that we cannot miss is the holiness of God. The thing that we cannot miss is the system that God put in place with the Jewish people as a foreshadowing of the ultimate sacrifice to come. And we are to remain united because Christ came into this world, took on flesh, and he died for us that we can have everlasting life. That should never get old for any one of us. And so when he goes back to the people of Israel... And he's talking about the sacrifices that the participants did in, you know, in this, the, uh, those, and he says, are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar. What is he saying here? What does this have to do with us as Christians today? Because we literally don't make sacrifices. We're not eating from the sacrifices that are offered on the temple. All right. So let's break this down. Remember the, the, the evaluation here that we're looking at is the holiness of God and the context and the theme is not committing spiritual adultery. We are to be devoted to God. So what Paul's doing here is he he uses the sacrifices of the Jews, okay, at the temple. And he's using this, member as a second analogy. So the first one he's using the, the table, what it represents. And so if you look at verses 18 through 20 that I just read, Paul's comparing what the Israelites did at the altar. You see this in Leviticus 7. You see it in Leviticus 8.31. You see it again in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 7 through 18. And you see this to idol sacrifice. So the Israelites, they would eat a portion of the sacrifice and they'd share the rest with the priest. And essentially what this represented is that when, when you are becoming a part, when you do that, you're becoming a part of the sacrificial system. And this was an act of worship. And in the same manner, when we're eating food that is offered to idols at a pagan temple, What do you think is taking place? You may be oblivious, but that's the point. You should know. You should know better. Eating food offered to idols at a temple, at a pagan temple, it makes you one with them. The word studies in the New Testament says, Paul says, with the altar rather than with God. So in order to emphasize the communion through the specific act of worship or sacrifice, since in a larger sense, Israel after the flesh, Israel regarded as a nation, was in virtue of that fact and fellowship with God, apart from his partaking of the sacrifices. The commentary also says, possibly to suggest, it's possible it says to suggest the external character of the Jewish worship in contrast with the spiritual worship of Christians. So we don't participate, obviously, in sacrifices. Christ is our ultimate sacrifice. But we are to be a living sacrifice to him as we remember what he's done for us through communion and not worshiping at the pagan temple, worshiping, as he says, to demons. I mean, th- this, this is where we get into the spiritual warfare, my friends, that we oftentimes tend to neglect. You see, the idols, these are the pagans that were worshiped. They didn't possess any great power. Obviously, they made it seem like they did. Like the the golden calf, for example, they were giving it powers that it didn't possess. They created it, and no one's created God. There's none God's equal. Remember, he said back in chapter eight, verse four, Paul says, "An idol's nothing at all, and that there is no God but one." So th- this becomes a laughing stock. You know, when you look at our lives, when we do give over to certain idols in our life that we think we can't live without, it's anything that we can't live without that doesn't bring honor to the Lord. Anything that is, again, God is never replaced. But when we use that phrase, what we're saying essentially is that it's not that God is never replaced. It's just that we consciously and willingly give our attention and our affections and desires to something other than God. And that's what we mean essentially when we say God is replaced. But nobody's overpowering God's presence and his glory. It's just saying that you in your free will, you have simplified your life to the level of being intoxicated by something that runs contrary to God's word. So when he says here in verse 19, what do I imply then that food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. So Paul's referencing to Deuteronomy 32, 17 to emphasize that pagan religions are from Satan. And he uses the plural term dominion to capture the plethora of demonic spirits that are being worshipped at the pagan feasts. You know, I love what Psalm 96 verse 5 has to say this. Psalm 96 5, For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. So when he's saying, why do I imply then that food offered to idols is anything? So here's the thing. When people are doing this, when they succumb to this, don't, they don't get anything in return as the Israelites did and as we as Christians do when we turn to Christ as our Savior and He forgives us of our sins. He gives us the strength to overcome temptation. He is the one that is faithful. Idols don't do anything. You're essentially bowing down to different demonic, demonic activity to different demons the manian again is there's a plethora of demonic spirits that are being worshiped with these idols and by the way i don't really have time to dissect this but we have to understand that many of the idols like osiris you know different even greek gods that we have certain names and you have of course one of the famous ones when you look in scripture when you have moloch and baal i do believe that those are actual demons that have reveal themselves through different activities. In this case, would it be idolatry or pagan worship and the feasts and the sacrifices. And eventually human beings make, again, I'm not saying that the image is compared, compared to what they actually look like, but just the name itself, their significance. Now, of course, all that the demonic spirits do because they're in bondage themselves and they're enslaved to the will of Lucifer, who is you know, the fallen, the fallen angel that is known as Satan, the devil. What we actually see with them is they just put you in bondage. They just deceive you and they lie to you. They're worthless idols. God's the creator of the heavens and earth. He's the one that has all the power and glory and splendor. So we're not to get mixed up. So that's why when Paul says you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons, you cannot partake of the temple of the Lord and the table of demons. Paul's intentionally using the term table. Why? Why is this significant? Again, as we we're explaining sacrifices a minute ago, we as Christians, we don't understand the table like people do in the Middle East. But we all have tables, obviously, in our house, and we eat at the table, and we can fellowship at the table, and we can host people at the table. Well, table was a clear indicator of him talking about worship. Uh, here's an example of an ancient invitation. Sharamon, Invites you to meal to a meal at the table of the Lord Serapis and the Serapium, tomorrow the fifteenth from nine o'clock onwards. So see that here is an invitation for people to come to someone's home and to have a meal at the table of the Lord Serapis. Okay. So in in, in essence, as you are again coming together in offering this food to the spirit or to the idol, to the God, to the deity, you're participating in that because you're at the, so even somebody, even though though someone's a host or hostess of it, they are inviting you to a specific table of a certain deity. And so many of the utensils and bowls and cups at these feasts, we, we actually, archaeologists, we've discovered many fragments and artifacts and there are ins- inscriptions on utensils of various different deities. Why? Because again, they were invited to a specific temple or excuse me, table that was worshiping in this ceremonial way a certain deity. And so they would have mimicked and etched these different deities on their utensils and many of them would take those home with them as a symbol of the fellowship that they had in the worship of this deity and so when when Jesus when when Paul was saying earlier the t- the table of the lord he's showing the difference we celebrate worship Jesus at his temple at his table and again we don't go to an exact temple because we are now the temple God dwells within us. And so the table of the Lord and the table of demons are completely incompatible. That's why he says, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? The first and second commandment state this. Remember the whole evaluation here is the holiness of God. who love me and keep my commandments. That's Exodus 20, four through six. So as we close, my friends, when we when we look at our lives, you're thinking, what spiritual adultery? How Am I cheating on God by having idols in my life? Because as Christians, we are not to stir up God by committing unholy actions that dishonor his holy name. Every follower of Jesus Christ should have a healthy fear and reverence for him. We're not to dine at different tables that don't honor the Lord. So we need to be careful and we need to ensure that when we look around our life, what kind of materialistic things or, or job or status or relationship, whatever it may be, it doesn't take long, my friends. Sometimes we avoid having these conversations because we don't want to give up something that we know we ought to. It could be drinking, could be having sex outside of marriage. You can even be worshiping and and being a control freak and being so codependent on your spouse or your children in a very unhealthy way and you're not devoting time to the Lord. So I pray as we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 today and as we go into the next segment to finish out this chapter next week about doing everything to the glory of God. See, that's the motivation. Say, okay, I want to dine at the table of the Lord and I don't want to be committing spiritual adultery, but I want to be devoted to Christ. Well, we're going to be looking at it after verse 23, 23 and following into chapter 11, verse one is how we are to do everything unto the glory of God. And so even now, as you partake of communion, and if you say, "Me, I don't remember the last time I partook of communion," number one is I you ask yourself: Are you in a Bible teaching church where they they do communion? I wish I wish churches and they, and I love some denominations. They it's a part of their worship service every Sunday is communion. I love that. I do think that that is clearly what we see. And of course, even in this passage alone, the emphasis. Of remembering what Christ has done as we come to worship Him, it really sets the tone, because the the Lord's Supper does it signifies us worshiping Jesus, and ultimately, why do we come to church? To stir up love and good works as at works as we worship Jesus, and so one is, you know, if your church is not partaking of communion um, a lot, I mean, yeah, some churches only do it once a quarter. I think that's pathetic once a quarter. I mean, most churches tend to do it once a month. And that always strikes me as odd thinking who decides that. But number two is you and your family, especially if, if you know, you're, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You love the Lord. You can go get elements and you can make a time to, to, to have the Lord's Lord Lord's supper. And, and, and maybe do that as a regular thing to always remember what he has done for us and to know that he will not partake of this until he comes to get his bride. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful picture of redemption. So Lord, I do pray for all of the people who listen to this podcast and I ask and I pray that you just move in their lives. They would draw near to you. Lord, if there's any unconfessed sin, if there is idolatry in their life, I pray that you would restore them back to you. They confess those sins and get right with you. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. My friends, if you pray that prayer, I pray God will continue to move in your life and also be encouraged that we are here praying for all of our faithful listeners. And if you find this ministry to be very, very helpful in your walk with God, will you do us a favor? Will you leave us a review wherever you get podcasts and also prayerfully consider becoming a monthly supporter? We are a 501c3, a tax-exempt ministry a nonprofit organization that seeks to reinforce biblical truth in everybody's life, to teach you guys to defend well, to discern well, and to argue well, uh, or excuse me, to defend well when it comes to all of the opposition that we see in life today. So I pray that you will join us and stand strong together. Till next time, keep standing strong in the Word of God.